Ever wonder what it is that's holding you back, keeping you from getting to the next level? Everything starts within your own mind. Your thoughts, attitude, and determination are all essential for success. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Main Idea Podcast. Diving deep to uncover how determination and mindset steamroll adversity. And now your host, creator of the Ski System and Trainer of the Year nominee, Abe Maynard. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Main Idea Podcast. I have an awesome episode for you today. I sit down with Will Buck, who's an alternative singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and producer from Baltimore, Maryland, based out of Echo Park, Los Angeles. He combines heavy blues guitar, strong storytelling lyrics, and some electronic elements that really bring him alive. Buck's sound has been described as renegade folk with an electro grunge type of delivery, and I don't know if I could better describe it myself. This guy rips on the guitar, and I would know because when he was building his band, I lived underneath him in college and got basically a front row seat underneath the stage. Many a sleepless nights, but sleepless nights enjoyed. Will also just released an EP called Shadows on November 5th. You can listen to it on his Spotify. Everything is Will at Buck. And April 23rd, 2022, he is coming back to the Viper Room in Los Angeles. So you can see this guy live. He's a true musician. He actually plays his instruments. He sings his lyrics. It is a breath of fresh air. Artists like Will need to be known. They need to be heard. And his story is pretty incredible. It was a pleasure sitting down with you, Will. I look forward to doing this again in the future. Without further ado, Will Buck. Mr. Will, Mr. Buck. I'm so excited to talk to you, man. Honestly, it's been selfishly. I love doing this podcast stuff because I get to talk to people that I haven't talked to in a long time. And then I get to hear about how awesome their life is. But I don't think I've seen your face since maybe since Boulder, in all honesty. It's been a long, long time. It has. And and what a shame. But yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for having for having me on, man. This is so great to see what you're doing. And you know, I appreciate you bringing me on. So what a great chance for us to, to catch up and hopefully, you know, offer some insight to anyone that's listening. Well, that's exactly what I want to do. I mean, for those that don't know, we were good friends in college. We lived together at one point. Um, part of that, when you were creating Westwater Outlaws, I knew because the subwoofer was right above my room in our house. And so when you guys would do kind of like late night sessions, write your music and play and everything, I had like a front row seat that was actually underneath the stage. So it was a unique experience. And uh, it's been really fun to watch. Like a big theme in this podcast is about the difficulties of pursuing the shit that you care about, you know, like, I have read in, in the interview you did with Voyage LA, you're like, nothing that's worth it or nothing comes easy that's worth it, right? Like you have to work hard through the things you care about. The path to wherever you want to go takes patience, which you identified, you know, earlier as in the email is something that's like part of your mantra. And I love that. And I just kind of wanted to hear from the inception, like how has that played out? The challenges of 
being a recording artist, pursuing the road that literally no one goes down unless they're so passionate about it. And then dealing with everything that comes along with that. Like, what has that been like for you? Mm. Yeah, great question. So <clears throat> I think very young, I, I vowed to not want to look back on my life and say, gee, I'm, I'm glad I played it safe. Right. And throughout my mostly adult experience, I've realized the amazing things that come from risk taking and then also paying for the consequences. But I've also gone through times in my life where I wasn't taking risks and I was really shrinking down in a way. Those were by far the worst times in my life, if that makes sense. So <clears throat> even though I've had to pay from the consequences of continually pursuing what I love and what I want to do, it's absolutely worth it just from even seeing and experiencing the other side. Do you ever wonder if that answers your question? Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, it seems to be a common theme amongst people that are in the lane of pursuing what they love because you're willing to go for it aside from what people think you should do, maybe what you think you should do, because it, it's like a, I don't know, it's an internal thing. It almost overrides your thought process. They're like sure. music's in your blood. Yes. It's <laughs> if they withdrew your blood, there's probably white blood cells, red blood cells and music, right? Like it's just your composition. It's who you are. Uh, right. When you're going through that journey, do you ever fear or, or I guess the better question is how does fear play into staying on that road? Great question. Yeah. So fear is inevitable, mm -hmm. especially when you are continually having to be your own cheerleader, let's say, mm -hmm. um, especially when you begin on the path and no one really takes you seriously. No one really believes in you. Um, that's very scary in the beginning to sort of walk into it and say, I know that I can do this. There's a lot of fear involved in that. However, every time I've faced fear head on and come out the other side, that's really where I've gone up a level, you know, as a yeah. human being. Um, and, you know, career-wise and other things as well. But I've kind of developed a mantra of if it scares you, do it. Right. And that comes across in so many different areas of my life. But in songwriting, as well, if I'm writing about something and it scares me and it feels like maybe I'm sharing something that's too much or it's too raw, that's when I know I'm writing a good song. Um, gotcha, yeah. And then the same thing in life. If something is bothering me, I know that the only way out is through. I actually wrote a song called that. But um, I have to face it sooner rather than later. Right. Sure. I think that fear is like, I, I was actually speaking to someone about this the other day. Fear is possibly the most essential emotion for our species. If you consider evolution, for example, 
fear is the thing that keeps the species evolving because you recognize threats in your environment. Um, it shapes your choices inherently. When you're scared of something, it makes you, you, your choices sharpen up really quick around that. You become more aware. And yeah. when you're taking on a new endeavor, you're writing a, your own album, leaving a band, all these kind of things, you're no matter what, you're going to come in contact face to face with that. And I think a lot of people turn around right there. A lot of people yeah. in a lot of different settings. And it takes a special individual to walk through that door. When you see people walk through it, you just want them to win. Like I always see when I see people take risks, I just want them to accomplish everything that they're after because I know how much it takes to do that. Mm. Do you ever worry that you won't achieve what you're after or that, that like a career will never take off or an opportunity will never come your way or, you know, you, you won't meet the right person to start the right thing. Is that something that you deal with on a day-to-day -day, on a year-to-year -year basis on this path that you're on? All the time. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. Um, but that's it. That is grit, right? Is yes. having those thoughts of, I might not make it. That opportunity may not come along. Um, you know, I may not get, get what I've always dreamed of. But the idea is despite that you stay in it and you learn how to enjoy the process of going for that dream and how can you make it so that you enjoy the process as much as possible, even if you don't get there. I think that's the most important thing, man, <clears throat> because that's where you're at. You're in that right now when you're sitting here talking right. to me and I'm talking to you, the, you know, maybe you're not recognized on a global scale. The podcast isn't known by every single person in the universe, but this is the, this is the best part right here, right now doing this thing. It's the, this is when you're in the most flow that you'll ever find because it's not influenced by other factors. Cause it can't be yet. Right. Like your music is so pure because it's made entirely out of love for doing it right now. And that's not to say, by the way, that is not to discredit your successes already as an artist. Like you're a very accomplished artist. One of the more talented people I know instrumentally in my life. And, uh, it's been fascinating to watch this like trajectory. I mean, I remember even from a distance when you moved to LA and knowing like, I didn't even talk to you when that happened, but I knew inside. I'm like, he's doing that. Cause that's the fucking move right now. Like he's not doing that. Cause there's a buddy out there and he wants to like surf. I mean, you just came back from this trip. Talk to me about that. Actually, the, the whole Westwater outlaws, that coming to a front, I mean, you guys were touring an insane amount. At that point, you're a full-blown band, right? Yeah. What was that experience like from like Westwater, solo career, making the decision to LA, and then your trip there in the middle? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for the kind words about my music and the purity and everything. Thank of you. course. Um, so... Westwater Outlaws, just to give a little backstory, um, when I met Abe, 
in college is when I formed a high energy rock and roll band called Westwater Outlaws in Boulder, Colorado. We started out um, playing parties in our singer's basement, which I'm sure you remember and slowly built built that to the bars and then from the bars to small clubs and then eventually to touring to eventually selling out clubs and festivals and everything like that, signing with an agency and management and uh, getting some song placements, et cetera, et cetera. So that was a five-year journey. And in a lot of ways, that represented my whole dream. As a kid, that's what I dreamt of doing. And I felt so lucky that I was one of the few that was able to come out of college doing what I really, truly wanted to do. I mean, I just wanted to be in a band with my friends, traveling the country in a van, playing music that I loved. And I got to do that. It was extremely hard. And there's so many things we could break down about band life and that part of my journey. But to get towards your question about like the end of that and, you know, transitioning to LA and the solo career, that band ended in 2015 and I was shattered. I was Why did that end, by the way? I've never been able to ask you this. Yeah, it's like anything. It's a multitude of things. There really isn't just one thing that you could say. If I had to chalk it up to anything, I would say we joined the band when we were 20, 21. Mm -hmm. And the band ended when we were 26. So I think for anyone that's listening you know that that is such a formative time of your life and there's a lot of growing up that happens there and throughout that time the road and relentless touring i think it got to all of us and keeping a band together especially like the genre of music of high energy rock and roll and having the expectation of every town that you pull into It doesn't matter if it's a Tuesday or it's a Friday. People want to party, want to have a good time. You know, upholding that every single night of whichever city you're in, whether it's a completely packed house or it's totally empty. Yeah. And you combine that with a really tough lifestyle of, you know, we had no crew that traveled with us. We were sleeping on floors all the time, barely making any money. All of us had to work jobs when we got home, not sleeping very much, you know, driving overnight all the time. So I think it really got to the band. And then without really speaking about any other members, there was just this obvious separating that was happening, like any sort of relationship that's, that's ended. It's kind of like, it's so sad because it was such a beautiful band. You know, I still love that band to this day. Yeah. Such a beautiful things we do. So that's why it hurts so much because when it really like all blew up and I mean, it, it really did blow up like right before we play, we were supposed to play the biggest show of our career. We were supposed to sign this big contract. We were supposed to sign with a new agency. 
I mean, the road was it paved, you know? And so for all of it to just crash so quickly, it, it not only shattered my identity, but I lost the brotherhood. I lost the family. I lost the years of work because I was 26 and by my thirties, I wanted to have gone through those years of really hard touring so that, you know, we could pick and choose our dates a little bit more. I could have maybe a little bit more of a normal life. So I knew from seeing the inside of the business, what it meant to lose that and, and what it meant to, to, to have it. end at that point, yeah, go ahead. It sounds almost like you were surprised, like the degree to which it shattered you was as if Mm. there was no writing on the wall. But at the same time, I'm hearing you say that you're, you're kind of recognizing these growth patterns and people are going in different directions seemingly over the course of this time frame. And you have the, the mental toll of constant work and lack of sleep and partying and this, and like all the parts of the industry that you don't really see when you go and see your artist for one night and you're like, you know, play that song that we all love. Come on, do it yeah. again. And you just expect that they're on 24 seven. So was it, and, and again, like kind of heading towards this new deal, big show, it sounds like everything's kind of shaky, but still heading in the right direction. Was it like something literally happened on a night and then you guys woke up and you were no longer a band or was it, uh, the wheel started to rattle? Like, how did that happen? Mm. Yeah, it's very perceptive. So I saw some issues from the very beginning. So the best way I can describe it, I know it's not as traumatic as this, but if you've ever had someone close to you pass away and potentially they were sick for a long time before that, you can prepare yourself as much as possible for their death. But when their death comes, you'll feel just as shattered as if they were hit by a truck out of nowhere. And, and I know this is not as extreme as that, as the ending of a band, but that is what shook me to my core is that I knew the wheels were coming off of this band for a long time. And I was desperately trying to keep it together because my whole dream was attached to this band, my identity, my work ethic, everything went into this. So I was trying to keep it together because that was like the center pillar for me and my, you know, friends and family had really like been built around that. So does that answer your question about like how shattering it was, but also seeing it coming at the same time? It does, I I guess. And perhaps I'm digging too deep here and, and maybe it's for a different time, but I, I think what I'm getting at is more like the day that it happened or 24 hour period that it happened. How did it happen? Sure. Sure. Man, I remember it like it was yesterday. So there was a contract that was on the table. And without getting into too many details, the contract was committing to a booking agency and a management agency, which would be really, really good for the band. But it was also going to commit the relationship of the band members. Like it's time to put on the 
the big boy pants and right. and look into the future of three to five years. This is what we're doing. And all I'll say is that not all members could wholeheartedly say that they wanted to sign that deal. I, I wanted to sign the deal. I was ready. And so I was, I was shocked a little bit from that, like the true colors coming out. I'm sure you've heard plenty of stories of like music, music industry, just like contracts and stuff like that. What I didn't realize is that I always thought that was, you know, the high level industry and record labels and stuff taking advantage of artists, which is certainly true. I didn't realize how much internally it brings up things within a band, which are almost like already old scars that you're then like twisting the knife. And when it came down to putting the pen to the paper, it didn't happen. And so the conversation that, that, that basically broke the band was like, we cannot agree on this, which is representative of we're not all 100% committed to this. So you can imagine that because I was 100% committed, I was like devastated. For sure. But it had, it had to happen because it made me realize, like, okay, we're, we're not all on this same level. I feel like there's, and I, I've never been in a band, but from friends that are musicians and just talking to people about the, the music industry, I feel like it's got to be similar to, well, it is relationship. For starters, it just is, right? It's you're in this group with people, you make decisions together, you care about each other, you you're excited about, you know, progress and new shows and achievements and stuff, and you share all that emotion. Um, similarly to being in a committed relationship to someone. But there does come that point in a relationship where you start to wonder, is this, you know, for the long term or not? And maybe you assess uh personality traits or your own. Uh, insecurities or whatever confidence points, whatever it is. And then you get to that point where you realize that it's not the right thing. And then you're stuck in this limbo of like, well, how long will you sit here? And I guess the difference is when a contract's on the table, there's legally binding dates that you have to decide by. So either you come to a decision or you're basically saying that you already know what's up and that doesn't, not that that makes it any easier, but, uh, it's gotta be, man, I can't think of something more challenging than holding your childhood dream in your palm of your hands and then realizing that you're not the only one holding it, you know, and that you need other people to <laughs> agree to hold it with you. Right. Like, what was yeah. that like for you? Because it sounds like you're definitely the one who is ready to go. You're ready to commit. Mm-hmm. You put yourself down with the band and, and go on for this time and continue this amazing trajectory and growth and, and phenomenal music that you guys were making. I mean, to some degree, you were rock and rolls like revival that it was actually like real high energy rock and roll that was being made after the sixties. <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah. what happens there after that time for you? First of all, it's a great analogy with the relationship. That's exactly what it feels like. Um, and there's multiple partners involved. Yeah. And then secondly, that's a great transition in terms of what I did next. So I was so shattered from that experience to the point where 
I didn't want to leave my house because in Boulder, it's a small community, you know, so people yeah. would recognize me. Yeah. Westwater Outlaws wins the next show. And nobody knew, you know, we didn't make a public announcement. So it, I was like terrified of those experiences. Right. So I, I got really depressed during that time. I mean, my room was covered with, you know, photos of rock stars and my guitars hanging everywhere. And it just felt like they were all judging me saying like, you're a has been at 26. What are you going to yeah. do? Right. And, and so I did the only thing that I thought I could, and that was go as far away as possible. So I sold almost all of my possessions besides the things that really meant something to me, which was, um, you know, guitars, keepsakes. I had one suitcase of clothes, um, some camping gear, and I basically packed up my truck and said goodbye to Boulder, which is a place that I loved. I'd lived there for eight years. So that was hard, but it was just, there was too many ghosts there and I needed to have a new beginning. And I just drove West. And for the next six months, I essentially lived out of that truck and worked along the way and went from San Diego to Seattle. So pretty much all the way up the coast. And then I went out to Hawaii for a while. Um, then I came back and then I eventually went to Australia for the second half of that year and had even less things and changed my truck out for a motorbike. And <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And the really interesting thing to be very raw and honest with you is that from the outside, it looked like the trip of a lifetime, right. which it was. But internally, I was swallowing all of that grief from the breakup of Westwater Outlaws. I wasn't speaking to a therapist. I wasn't telling anyone about my old identity. You know, I wanted to like forget that that ever happened. I cut my hair. I changed my appearance. So there was a lot of almost running away yeah. during that time period, even though it was amazing. And I feel very grateful for that experience and just flying off the seam of my pants and really being in this like drifter mode and, and seeing how you can actually make that work on a, you know, shoestring budget. Right. But as much as I wanted it to be this self discovery and like new spirituality, there was so much internally that was negative that I was avoiding, mm -hmm. um, which we can get into later of how I've actually dealt with that later down the line. Um, but at the end of that trip, so I moved back to the United States from Australia, having had an entire year of essentially traveling and ignoring all of, you know, these issues. And I moved right to LA and got a job at a warehouse. So I went from that to working eight to 10 hours a day in a 40,000 square foot warehouse, pretty much by myself, packing t-shirts, folding t-shirts for 
hours a day making very little money where I had no musical prospects. I had one friend who I lived with and thankfully he helped me get that job. Um, and all of this internal stuff was just eating away at me inside while I'm folding t-shirts. Right. And I was like, what happened to me? I was like, how did I get here? You know, it, it reminds me of the story you told about enterprise when oh, you, you had that breakdown yeah. and it was like, this, this can't be it. This can't be where Dude, I, I was, end up. It's so funny. I mean, I, I don't want to miss this point, but like, yeah, it, it's so hilarious that the parallels in, in our life at different points, but our senior year of Boulder, I was working in a soup kitchen. Like I'm not, not yeah. a soup kitchen where you serve homeless people, but a soup manufacturing kitchen. And I would literally, I'm not fucking you. I would stand on this line in a lab coat because it was the only job mm. that I could have with our class schedule that year. And these soup cans would come down this line and I'd put a lid on the soup can and watch it go by. I'd put a lid on the soup yeah. can and watch yes. it. And then I'd tape the box. And, you know, on a good day, I was able to use the forklift to put the boxes up in the storage. But like you get there and sometimes it's that, that present kind of being in that flow state that the journey part, you look yeah. down and you're like, whose hands are these folding these <laughs> fucking t-shirts, man? Yeah. What the hell happened? Yeah. And I, that's a, it's a trippy experience to have. Mm. It's impactful. So you're yeah. there, you have the, where's Will Buck? Who's this guy right. standing in the, in the warehouse? <laughs> yeah. And, and also like no disrespect to the manual labor. And I've Not done a lot of manual labor jobs. I fully, you know, understand putting in an honest day's work. I think it was more of the fact that the skills that I was using was nothing that I was good at. I, I wasn't using any of the skills that I was good at. I mean, I was, I've seen you fold a shirt using, before, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really great at folding t-shirts now. <laughs> Thanks for that. But yeah, the, the logistics that I was doing there, everything, like none of this was involved with who I was as a person and creativity and all that stuff. And so to kind of hark back to our, the beginning of our conversation, that's when I really paid for the risks that I'd taken. Right. I had no safety nets. I'd sold all of my possessions. I'd built no like equity. Uh, I, thankfully, you know, it's good at living on a, on a budget, but I didn't have a ton of savings. So, you know, I really paid for what everyone says they're envious of, of, of going for your dream. I've seen the other side of that. Okay. So I'm in the warehouse. I made it a year in that job because part of it was once again, trying to be someone else. I was trying to live a totally different life and see if I, other than music, because from five years old on, that's all I ever wanted to do was music. And because it ended so rough, yeah. I, I, you know, I felt like I need to see if I can do something else. And there was opportunity at this job. Um, and I was on one of only four employees and it could have turned into, you know, much bigger position, et cetera, et cetera. But of course I hated it and I didn't want to continue on. So I've had several points in my life when 
the consequences of not doing the thing are higher than doing the thing and failing. You mean so, your, like your pursuits, your passion? Pursuits, exactly. So I was at that road where it was so painful not doing the thing, yeah. pursuing music. And that, were you playing music privately at this time at all? Like you had your guitar. I, I know you never sold your guitar, right? Like were you coming yeah. home and playing your guitar or were you writing or, or thinking about that kind of stuff every day still? Yeah, I never stopped playing. I mean, from the day I picked up the guitar, you know, I've never stopped. Um, it was really just not pursuing it professionally. And there was a lot of sadness when I would play because I was like, I felt like I was letting almost the instrument down because I had such a strong bond with the guitar since such a young age that every time I would pick it up and play, I'd be like, ah, I'm not even doing this thing justice you know so right. i was still playing but there wasn't a lot of spirited playing there wasn't a lot of jamming you know that was a that's a whole nother conversation but from playing with those guys in westwater for five years you know you reach a level of musicality that you know how we, each other play there's a chemistry there so losing that as well it's, it's really hard to then go and play with other players they could be terrific but you don't know their style and you don't click as well. <clears throat> so I wasn't playing with a lot of other people, partly because I was afraid and I didn't know anyone. Um, so once again, I did the only thing that I thought I could do, which was quit the job, enroll in music production school, because I felt a little bit out of the loop you know, and old school um, and needed to learn, you know, this new electronic element that is so present in music. And I wanted to have the tools in my own hands of how to put all of my ideas, you know, into a recording, you know, box situation. Um, and I moved into uh, Echo Park, which is where I live now, which is much more of a music hub from where I was living before, which is Long Beach. And then I made the hardest decision to learn to sing. I was not right, a singer. You yeah. were a lead guitarist in Westwater, right? So maybe you did backup here or there, right? But you're not, Blake was a singer. He was a lead yes. guy, right? Gotcha. Yes, very yeah. much so. Um. And I was terrified to sing, which is crazy to say because I had been in music for so long. And I, you could put me in a room with a guitar and I was as comfortable as could be. But if you asked me to sing, I was just, you know, petrified. Right. So I, I decided once again, I have to face this head on. So I got a vocal coach. And man, I showed up, my voice is cracking, my face is red. I'm just singing off key. I'm squeaking. I mean, it was so bad. I love it. I love <laughs> but it. But I, I, I just pushed through because my mindset changed is that I can do this. Mm -hmm. I, I can do this. So the next stage of my life was about learning to become 
what I'm sort of doing now, you know, learning to become a solo artist, because even though I had all of those years in the band, I had no idea how to be a front person or a, a solo artist or write all of the songs, like start to finish myself and run all the business on my own, et cetera, et cetera. So through production school, vocal coaching, and, you know, once again, just telling myself, don't give up. Um, I almost became a solo artist out of necessity. I was like, right. I don't want to give up. I haven't necessarily always dreamed of becoming a solo artist, but I didn't know anyone. I didn't have band mates. I didn't have contacts. And I was like, I need to express all this stuff that's happening inside me. And the only way I know how to do that is through music. And so when I finally got to a level where I felt comfortable singing, all of that stuff started pouring out of me. I mean, the songs just started to like write themselves. Right. And I would be like, oh my God, this is about this past relationship from seven years ago. Oh, this is from when the band broke up. Oh, this is from when I was traveling. You know, it's yeah. kind of an amazing like spiritual process to watch it unfold into my notebook. And then I had to learn the process of then releasing the the songs out into the world, which was a whole nother level of being scared. <laughs> and at that point, are you, are you like, well, first of all, is that point this point? <laughs> Where are we in time? Are like you graduated school. How long ago was that when you started working with the vocal coach, for example? Uh, so that was in 2017 is okay. when I quit, quit the job and went into production school and, um, started the, the vocal coaching. So in 2018, I announced myself as a solo artist. Yeah. And then in 2019, I put out my first single and music video and, you and know, so sort of said your production, your songwriting, yeah. your music, and even on the business side, your business. Yes. Right? My name, everything. So what, what um, did that feel like? One, how was it received? Did anyone receive it? Because sometimes if you do all this shit, right? And you put it out there and you're so excited and you're like, ha I'm here. And people are like, no one fucking cares. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. what was the delivery like there? And then also, well, one at a time, what was that like? What was it like to finally get that project out? It's by you. You've seen it front to back, upside down, inside out. And now mm. it's out in the world. Yeah, that was a very scary and vulnerable vulnerable process um, because I had developed this identity for so many years as the guitarist of Westwater Outlaws to then step in the spotlight and say, I'm Will Buck. There's nothing to hide behind at that point. You know, this is my production. This is my songwriting. This is everything. So there's no excuses there. So when you put it out, every single piece of criticism that comes your way <laughs> feels personal. Yeah. So yeah. that was, was something that I had to learn just, you know, trial by fire. I yeah. just had to put it out there. Luckily though, like I said, the pain of not doing it was so much worse than the pain of yeah. actually doing it. And then all the criticism that came my way, it got easier to deal with that. And of course, it didn't blow up, you know, right off the bat uh, at all. 
Um, I mean, people were definitely interested. Um, but I realized, you know, you have to build a brand new fan base. You are starting over at the age of 29, 30. And I, and I, and I knew that because I'd built a band from scratch before. So that was one of the big things holding me back is I knew how many years it takes. So starting over, even though I'd had all of those years of experience, I knew there's, there's really no way around those first, however many years to build a project. Um, and so I knew once I committed that I was going to have to do that. So it, I, I kind of just put my head down and was like, this is going to start really small. You have to reset your expectations. Um, don't level your success based on your previous success, because this is the totally different thing. And that is easier said than done. That took me a while to, to learn. Yeah. I, you're my people, man. I mean, I love this <laughs> shit. I, I could talk to people about this all day long, because this is the part that you don't see when you're scrolling through social media or you're seeing a billboard or you're seeing something like you just don't get a piece of how long shit takes to make happen. It's hard. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of overcoming your own doubts more, way more than other people's people are going to always tell you your shit sucks. It's just, that's part of being an entrepreneur, an artist, whatever, there's going to be critics and they're going to chirp 24 seven for the rest of your life. But the yeah. hard part is hearing your own self question whether or not you're in the right path. When you put a ton of effort into something and it's out there, you have to remind yourself timeline for things is, is long, it takes a long time for stuff to get off the ground. Yeah. No one is an overnight success. It just seems that way because of what you're fed. You see people's, yeah. Android, I say this all the time in here, but like, in social media, on the internet, everything, you're always seeing the best version or the end product of what someone's doing. You don't get to see how many times they had to work through failure. They had to mm. overcome doubt, overcome, not even like a lack of self-confidence because it's so far, it's so many levels deeper than just like, ah, I don't, I don't know if the world's going to like my project. It's not that it's yeah. much, much deeper. And it's vulnerable when you put your name behind what you're doing. You put your name out there. Now it's you. You're not working for a company that makes a shitty product. And when people don't like it, they're, you're like, call the customer service line halfway across the world. It's you. Everything about it's you. And that's crazy. But those people, you're the best people. You're the most exciting to be around because you get it. And you're not, you're not compromised by all the shit along the way, you know? And I'm always pulling, like, I always, I, it, it fucks me up when I think about people like you, where I know the level of talent that you have is insane. I've, with my eyes, seen you play guitar. And all I could think of was Stevie Ray Vaughan. Like, I can't think of somewhere in between there. The skill set is very similar. It's a, you're not playing an instrument. It's like, you are the instrument. It's just the way that someone expresses, you know, a, a skateboard underneath a talented skateboarder is an expression of their movement, right? They, it just sticks to them in a different way. But if you touch a skateboard, you know how difficult that is. When you watch a talented musician play or sing, it fucks you up because you're seeing someone. I remember I saw Santana playing at Woodstock and they had this video of him and it was just it just looked like his arm was also a guitar that made beautiful noise. It was like a trip. And it's, it's, it's really inspiring 
to hear stories like this of you gunning through it, man, the grit, like you don't, you're just on it. And at this point, I have to know, like, when you look at Westwater, that let's say right before you sign that contract and things fall apart on the front side of the question, would you consider that like fame? Like, did that feel like that what people might perceive as fame? Mm. And I guess that more is like a yes or no question. Cause I want to ask one after that. It was a taste. I don't think it was like the full thing on a small, okay. small town level. Yes. But and not, it, not on like, you know, a huge global or even national scale. Yeah. Does that feeling mean anything to you? Did it make you want more of the poison? Do you feel yourself now comparing where you are as a solo artist to heights that you reached with Westwater or it, like, how does that, those two worlds play into each other and your motivation and drive and kind of like your compass of where you are and where you want to go? Sure. Well, first of all, I have to say thank you. Again. <laughs> of course, you, man. It's you, all from the heart. You're Seriously. also, you're also my people. And, you know, thank you so much for the kind words about my, my playing and uh, being inspiring and everything. Of course, man. Um, so about the fame, no, I don't really care about that. That is not my driving force. It was nice to be recognized, you know, and to have people admire you, but that's never why I did it. That's like extra validation that, that kind of comes along with it. There's also a level of um, anxiety that comes with that is that you kind of need to uphold that um, image, I guess you could say. Um, and then in terms of leveling, uh, measuring my success currently versus Westwater, I've had to do some like deep level internal work to not do that because I was doing that so much that I was like making unnecessary walls for myself because I was so wrapped up in the idea of, well, I used to sell out 600 person clubs, you know, and only 50 people came to this show. Right. And I, and I put in so much work. Right. But the thing is, it's, it's not fair to compare that because we were selling out 600 person clubs after years of, of work. And there was four guys as opposed to one. And we were 21 where everybody wants to go out four nights a week. And right. it's a smaller town where there's way less competition. There's so many factors that you cannot even right. compare them. So yeah, it, a lot of from 2019 up to now has been about undoing that, internal pressure of measuring you know success but at the same time i know it's possible because i've experienced it before from building something from literally the ground up i know that without any real you know outside opportunities it can be done so that gave me grit but it also simultaneously gave me a measuring stick that i don't really want to use 
if that makes sense. Yeah, I I think that makes total sense. It's got to be. I don't know. I'm trying to think of examples of where where people might be able to relate to like that. The the only thing I can think of in my head is. I, I actually I don't I don't have a compass for that. It it's an interesting experience to have experienced that type of accomplishment. I guess it would be like, you know, being a world-class athlete and then retiring and trying to figure out, you know, what do you do with your time other than just like dissolve into nothing. Um, right. And if you're tied to the relevance and if you're tied to fame and you're tied to the notoriety, then you have a really tough uphill battle because that's guaranteed to go away. So yeah. if you're, if that is not something that's driving you, I think one, it's more genuine because again, you're doing it because you love what you're doing, not because you want your face on Hollywood Boulevard. So people that know who you are, when you go into a restaurant, right. Um, unfortunately, I think that that'll happen for you. <laughs> you know, I, I don't see, I don't, I don't see you going another five years without having some sort of explosion in your career because you're too talented as an artist. It's, I think it's rare when you find that type of talent, like real musical talent, it's not a dime a dozen at all. Do you feel like it's really competitive? I, it, it sounds to me almost like the competitive part is more just getting people. It's like you have a Van Gogh and no one knows that you make art and you're like, uh, so I want to see my painting <laughs> and no one knows. Like, how do you even start down that road of getting your, obviously social media exists now. It didn't, you know, in the sixties and seventies, but how do you go about this next part? How do you take your projects and your music and your vocals and get them into the hands of the right people, not just anyone, but the people that you actually want to have them that you would trust to enter into some sort of business relationship? Like, how do you actually go about that in LA? Mm, yeah. It's very simple. You just get in the ring. You, you take the show, even if it's a bad deal, uh, you put the song out, even if you don't feel like it's 100% ready. You shoot the music video, even if you don't have the full budget that you would like. Right. You know, <laughs> all, all of these things, because there's no one way to get that opportunity. But if you're not in the ring and showing people that you can show up, no matter if they're there or not, they will be much more enticed to work with you if you are in the ring and you're doing these things and you know in the back of your mind like i i wish that i had maybe more of a budget to make that music video to make the vision happen et cetera, et cetera. but you have to know that that'll come you know yeah. down down the line and maybe someone will come along and help you with that budget maybe they won't i pretty much assume that they won't at yeah, this point I, I i i pretty much assume all of the you know responsibility you know the extreme ownership especially because i use my own name um and i'm i'm proud to do that i'm proud to be an entrepreneur in addition to a musician and i feel lucky that we live in a time where that's possible because referencing you know the 60s rock stars that was not a time where you could really be an entrepreneur and a musician 
at least it was extremely rare. You were right. really subjected to just the powers that be. They still yeah. exist. I still deal with that on a daily basis, but there's so many more resources that I can utilize to make my own opportunities as opposed to kind of wait for them. Are you ever, are you hesitant to collaborate having been in a band and seen the dynamics of how that played out for you? Also the successes that you could achieve, you know, within that chemistry of other people in that group, is it tempting to reach out and try to collaborate and leverage, for example, your exposure with somebody else's exposure or how do you navigate that in, especially in Hollywood, you know, where like, <laughs> you can't trust anyone. Sure. sure. Um, I was, I was very scarred from collaboration, you know, at first, like when I first got into production school and um, first started singing and, you know, really making my comeback, I was so scarred from, I think you even said it, like allowing other people to hold my dream yeah. and then having that dream break. I, this time around was like, I'm going to be the only one holding this. Right. There's wisdom. There's wisdom in that, but you also have to loosen your grip because you can't do it alone. So now I collaborate a lot more, whether that eventually turns into being in other bands. I mean, God, I'd love that. I, I, I love bands. I would still love to be in bands as any different member. Um, but that might have to come later. And it's going to look different than right now. Um, building that from the ground up. Cause once again, I know what it takes to build something from nothing to something. Right. So right now the focus is putting it in a project that I know I can remain in, in ownership of. I, I guess this, this is a good time to ask this because I have always curious with, with musicians and acting and art, like there's this organic realness to who you are and what you do at the beginning in all, in all facets of we'll just group it as art, right? Because mm. you're not quite influenced yet by maybe you're influenced by styles or people you idolize, but no one's like pushing your buttons yet. No one's saying, mm. well, you know, if you painted with red, then a lot more people would like it. And you're like, well, okay, maybe I'll put some red in my paintings. You know, I usually just paint in black or whatever it is. <laughs> you start to hear those voices. It starts to change you a little bit. And then someone comes along and says, Hey, if you paint in purple, I'll pay you. And you're like, whoa, mm. okay, no one, that's new. All right, I guess I could do that. So, how do you stay true to you and your music, mm. Will Buck's music, that is your life experience, the sadness and anger and happiness from all of this time as a musician? How do you stay mm. true to all this and then also grow within this cutthroat, wild industry as competitive as? acting right on a, on a global scale, how do you mm. navigate? Like, how do you manage those two things together and not veer off track and be converted into an artist that you don't want to be? You look inwards, not outwards. So when I'm writing, if I feel an internal sense of excitement or 
fear or almost like a deep sadness, I know I'm on the right track because if I feel it, I know other people, or I hope that other people will feel that too. Whereas if I approach the songwriting from being like, man, that song's so popular. Okay. What's the BPM, you know, beats per minute, it's 120. So maybe I should make a song that's 120 beats per minute. Okay. What's the feel? Oh, it's got like a four on the floor bass. Do, do, do. Okay. I should do that. You know, build a song like that. You're influenced by that song, right? Just whether you build a song like that or not, you you're automatically influenced because you're an artist, right? So you're absorbing all these things. So I kind of rely on the fact that that will just happen naturally and I'll be influenced by them. So I'm not saying to not be influenced by something, but as soon as I start to feel myself writing a song for a specific goal in terms of like popularity or like maybe people will like this because they like this thing or that feel like that's as soon as the, you know, the art just starts to vanish from it and and i have no um you know lofty ideas of myself as this like artist that you know only exists in this vacuum that's like i only make you know art it's it's not like that it's more of just i know the difference between an internal feeling of when i'm on the right track of creating something that's that's raw and vulnerable versus creating something that's commercial and for success when when you did the you did a recent competition uh, at the Hollywood Bowl, right? And I forget the name of it, so please uh, say it right now. <laughs> uh, it's just called the the opening act. Opening act. Yeah. Was that the first type of exposure you got from a competitive arena? Yes. And did that tempt you to then, because as an outsider who's not involved in the music industry, you see things like America's Got Talent or American Idol. And it's laughable, but then you also yeah. see that there's some people that are still relevant today who've completely got their careers started off those places. You yeah. don't strike me in the least as someone who would be like chomping at the bit to go on American Idol and be judged by like <laughs> Christina Aguilera about the blues that you're singing. Right. But is there any temptation to leverage your exposure through those channels, through like competitive channels or, shows that may exist on TV and things like that, or yeah. How do you feel about those? Mm. So turning music into a competition was something I was very anti, very against for my whole life. The Hollywood bowl competition was an accident. I got, I, I responded to something that was like, would you like to open at the, Hollywood Bowl. And I was like, of course, you know, fill out this form. I thought they were just going to randomly choose. And then they were like, hey, you're in the competition. And so I was like, you know what, Will, you've been anti these things your whole life. Like, why don't you just flip the coin, see what it's like, get in the ring and like see your fan base if they get behind you. And they did. I, I made it way further than I was expecting. And that ended up being like such a tremendous personal win that I felt like for me and sure. my, my fan base. So I realized that 
there is there is good in that it's it's uh, the competition with art is you know i'm still a little iffy on that because who's to say one thing's good and one thing's bad right. it's all personal preference but it was about courage for me it was about bravery of saying like hey i'm an underdog in this thing like i don't have nearly the following as like a lot of the people that are in this competition and this is a huge venue um you know let's go for it anyways and then i'm a person that if i go in i go all in so when i decided to go in i was like i'm not going to go half in i'm gonna go all in and see what this whole thing is about and on the other side of it i would say it was much more about the personal growth of myself and you know proud feelings of my fan base i almost looked at my competitors and like wanted to shake their hand and be like thank you for pushing me and i hope you feel the same way you know there's no like animosity there at all right were there were there potential collaborations that came from that like did you find yourself aligning with some of the people you're up there with or or was everyone kind of in their own lane and yeah, nothing really uh, ended up coming out of that. I think if it had been in person, um, there potentially be a lot more of that. But you know, it was all mostly online, so there right. wasn't a lot of you know face to face. I don't even think about that. I mean, a lot of the past year and a half must have been crazy in and of itself as a recording artist. I, I know my other friend is a recording artist, songwriter. I was like, dude, I mean, it's like being a stand up comedian, right? Where are you going to play? There's nowhere yeah. to test your material. You can write yeah. it all day long, but like now that places are opening back up, are you wanting to like get out there and, and start booking, booking shows and getting in front of people and sharing music that you've created over that time frame, Or have you already been doing that? Yeah. So I've gotten back into live music, which has been awesome. And there's once again, a level of, of starting over. You know, a lot of places have closed. A lot of those relationships you might have had before have potentially drifted apart, um, you know, with certain industry, you know, people and things. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of a reintroduction back into the live world. You know, also people are a little bit more hesitant maybe to go out. But honestly, like once again, just the feeling of getting out there and sharing my music is more than enough. You know, that feeling of just just getting back out there and also, yeah, being able to share all of the new music that I wrote and released over so the last you know, point, year and a half. You're fully on your own as a solo artist. That's all that you're currently doing, right? That's it. I, I also teach private uh music lessons, songwriting, production, vocals, um, guitar, just like you and I are talking right now. So oh, gotcha. yeah, Dude, the, those, the those two things has been, I mean, I, I love it. it. It's, it's weird. It is weird to be, yes. I mean, I literally feel like I, I'm seeing you like we were hanging out yesterday. It doesn't, to me, the feeling is absolutely no different, which in and of itself kind of fucks me up. Cause I'm like, shouldn't I feel like I'm staring at a computer screen right now? But I don't, I feel just right. like 2011, like we're skateboarding around campus. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you're, this is totally a tangent, but do you remember that we were skateboarding outside of uh, 
by the basket what was that the basketball center i forget what it's called and uh that we got ticketed by the cops yes i do and i and i lied to them and told them we were from broomfield and then i panicked <laughs> and backpedaled and i was like look 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 i lied actually because they asked to see in my backpack they're like what, what do you mean and i was like look i gotta come clean we're not we're students on campus uh <laughs> Because if he looked through my backpack, he was going to find my student ID and be like, you're not from Broomfield, dude. You got a student ID. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, I do remember the... Like, I lied to a cop and then told the cop the, the truth the, within the, like 30 seconds. The intensity seconds. of like reversing your, your story was so classic. Yeah, it was like, no, I'm coming clean on this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think the guy almost felt bad. He was like, it's okay. It's okay. Like, Well, there yeah. was like a new cop. And a, and a vet cop and the new cop wanted to right. like handle it remember and then right, the other right. cop was like dude chill like, okay chill, chill. skateboarding yeah, yeah. like yeah. we got better stuff to do that was so funny so uh, many good memories uh, from boulder so, um, i know i know it's a trip it's crazy to me that that was a decade ago i think about that right. all the time i mean blink of an eye and here we are fast forwarded you know another 10 years it, it's so crazy that you went on this like find yourself trip and you ended up in Australia because in 2017, I was going through this wacky relationship. It was super toxic. And I just hit this point where like, and I don't know what it is psychologically uh, in all of our heads that like when shit really gets bad, it's like, fuck it. I'm selling all my shit and I'm, I'm <laughs> going across the world. It's like a thing. I mean, I, I yeah. did the same thing. I put my job on pause. I, I worked it so that I could come back and still have a job. It wasn't like a full vagabond, but grabbed a backpack, put enough things in there and bought a, a round trip ticket to Bali for three and a half weeks. But I just went like, I didn't book any hotels there or I didn't even know I had barely looked at a map, like what to do. And there's something real freeing about doing that. And you yeah. end up just kind of sitting there with yourself which is mm. what you haven't been able to do when all the chaos is going on because you're too occupied by other shit. And yeah. you end up sitting there like, and I just remember I was sitting, I was sitting in Bali uh, and I was just like, dude, you're, you're a good dude. Like you're a good, you're a good person and everything's fine. Mm. And it was in that moment, I was like, I, it felt like uh I don't know. It felt like someone pulled a weight that was a weight vest, like off of me that I was just, it was like keeping all my breathing in. And it was like a big, like, wow. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then everything was just fucking chill, man. And it was like the best experience of my life. It was life changing in so yeah. many different ways. And you end up just, like you said, it's like, just from the, from the hip, you, someone's like, Hey, do you want to come and check this out? And you're like, yeah, cause I'm just on yeah. planet earth. And I have no plans. <laughs> so I'll go with you. Oh, cool. All yeah. you have is the back of a scooter. Let's roll. Yeah. Um, it sounds like that was equally pivotal for you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I think that like you were describing when you are just totally open um, and you see the universe as working for you all of a sudden it starts to just hand you things and because you're open you can say yes to them and then you say yes to this one thing and then that leads you to another thing and to another thing and to another thing and it's very rare that people do that in their lives because they don't have the opportunity um and i just wanted to see how far i could take that 
And that stuck with me, that, that idea of opening yourself up, surrendering, because I'd been so shattered, my identity had been so destroyed that I was like, I want to be nobody, you know, I want to just right. be this kind of like existing amoeba that can float around and do all these different things. And to just see what that feels like to just completely detach yourself of your past and your future and put it all on hold and have no story really attached to anything. It's, it's pretty unbelievable. Like the things that can just come your way. Um, And I think that to take that into a much more, you know, disciplined life and see if I can also open myself up for, for opportunities and sort of allow things to come to me in terms of uh, instead of just trying to, hammer my own way towards totally yeah sometimes you take that that big exhale back step and you don't lose your drive like your internal drive or that sense of work ethic and grit that you mentioned earlier but you take your hands off the handlebars a little bit and kind of ghost ride the thing and and some special things happen there man it's um yeah it's really it's really inspiring it's good to hear that you're in such an awesome place i mean we could recite a trillion different stories of people that have had peaks and valleys and came back and hit a hell of a peak. You know, there there's, it happens all the time. And it sounds like your, your mindset and just kind of who you are right now, that's the right guy for doing what you're trying to do. You know, like (laughs) you kind of have to go through this part where you get all fucked up and you're broken down and bad things happen. And, and gives you the pieces to build the songs that you want to build and tell the story that resonates with people because that's the shit everyone's everyone's going through the shitty shit you know not that many beautiful songs are about wonderful times Hmm. a lot of them are about tough times or emotionally distressful situations or things that they hit you here and you kind of walk out and you're like holy shit that one song was just like i feel that you feel it because it's happening to you. It's real. It's what's going mm-hmm. on. And uh, I'm really excited to see where you continue to take this, man. Thanks, but, Dave. Uh, Thank you yeah, so much. I want to be, you know, super respectful of your time and give you an, an opportunity to like, where can people find you? What's your cell phone number? How can they show up at your house? Uh, <laughs> you know, give them the whole shebang so that uh, they can discover you. They can hear your talents and, and follow you along. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Will Buck, and on all social media platforms, I'm Will S. Buck. So on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, everything, it's Will S. Buck. My website is also willsbuck.com. And then if you want to stream any of my music, um, on Spotify or YouTube, Apple Music, anywhere where you stream music, you just search Will Buck. It'll be a black and white picture of me. And um, I'd be very grateful if you did stream my music and 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 enjoyed it, um, add it to a playlist, uh, show it to a couple friends. All of that stuff actually goes a really, really long way. So, And you um, got merch. Yeah. And the merch is yes, good. Yes. It's actually like yes. clothing that you would wear. It's not like... <laughs> shitty band stuff that sucks 
it's actually good merch. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I've really, um, I've, I've taken my identity as an artist and try to really put that into my merchandising and really care about it because I care about my, you know, style and clothing and comfort. And I think it's a way of self-expression and I want my fans to have that as well. So there is a lot of tender love and care that goes into that merchandising. It's not just slapping a logo on to an uncomfortable t-shirt. You know, I'm really like sourcing this stuff that, um, you know, I know the ethics are right there in terms of the way that the garments are made. Um, and I like very minimal branding comfort is, you know, I, utmost importance to me and then also just generally the the fit and the style so if you want to check out my merch you can see that on instagram i have a store um at will s buck and then also on my website will um there's a merch tab in there and you can just folded? order right from there they come oh folded? they are they are folded to a ta they're they're in a nice clean bag with a nice little sticker on there. I mean, it, love and care. A year, a year of packaging garments. I got pretty good at the, the merch packaging. I love it. Yeah. Well, dude, yeah. thank you so much for taking the time, man. We're gonna have to do this again. Um, it's a pleasure just to talk to you again. I think that's again selfishly always one of the reasons I love doing this. Um, but I really appreciate you coming on and telling your story. Go listen to him. Will ask Buck, everybody. You've been listening to the Main Idea Podcast. Profiling pros within the health, wellness, and sports industries. It's real and raw discussions about how real people lean on themselves to accomplish great things. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We know we had fun. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media. Till next time, this is the Main Idea Podcast. Listen. Listen. Learn. Learn. Evolve. Evolve.